Recovery from Anything features real stories that some listeners might find distressing. Check the show notes for specific content warnings and information on support services. I was kind of just existing. I, I was just going through the motions. I had all these feelings inside, but I buried them deep down. I remember even sometimes when they were bubbling to the surface, I'd just sort of sit and just try and force it down, push them down really deep down so I wouldn't feel anything. Kids sense weakness. They're going to come down on that like a ton of bricks, and they did. Welcome to Recovery From Anything. I'm your host, Abby Felton. As kids, many of us have felt the sting of being outsiders, of not quite fitting in. Whether it was interests that set us apart, or simply the uniqueness that makes us who we are, the experience of feeling different is universal. But what happens when this innocent feeling of not belonging turns into a relentless battle with bullying? Although I wasn't bullied as a child, I certainly felt disconnected from my classmates. They all seemed to be interacting in a world of homework, lunch tables and after-school clubs, where I was an angry kid, resentful. There was a darkness inside me that not even I understood, so how could I even begin to understand them? I wouldn't verbalise this, of course. I didn't know how. Instead, I masked my feelings of isolation and pretended to be a normal kid. It was exhausting playing this character, but I played the part well. However, it made me grapple with a sense of not knowing where I fit in or who I truly was. Until I had a fantastic idea that I definitely would never ever regret years later and started drinking. The only time I felt like I could relate to other kids was when I was drunk. And so I just stayed drunk. Gold star for teenage me. 10 out of 10, go to the top of the class. Today's storyteller not only had those feelings of being an outsider, He also had to endure years of his peers taunting him for it. But when the school year ended and the days of teachers and classes and homework left him, the wounds inflicted during his formative years never did. Here's Luke Chaplin. I was always a shy, awkward kid a bit oversensitive, not very confident at all. I remember just being by myself a lot of the time, not really having many friends, uh, occasionally getting beaten up, and like that was just my routine. It was a pretty lonely start to life, really. When I was about 10, uh, 9 or 10, we moved over to America. My dad worked in the car industry, so we moved to Detroit, Motor City, which was pretty scary actually I was at the age where I was old enough to know it was a big thing while that was kind of interesting and potentially exciting to a nine-year-old kid who was just being wrenched away from home it was terrifying I remember actually crying quite badly on the night they told me to having a bit of a breakdown and all my younger brothers were like kind of "Eh, what's what's the problem I think it was a bit easier because they're a bit younger I, I know that they had their, had their own issues, but it, it always feels like they had a better time of it than me. It, it always seems to be the oldest and the youngest that seem to be, that generally get it the hardest and being the oldest 
that was definitely the case for me. I'd keep to myself even within the family. I, I wouldn't spend too much time with my other three brothers. I didn't feel like I had much in common with them. They seemed to have a better connection with my parents than I did, all of them. It was difficult sometimes to be get involved. They were more sporty than I was. I wasn't very sporty. Like I did try and do some sports teams over there in the States. But again, I was always a bit uncoordinated, not really into them as much. So again, not having anything in common to latch on to, like being the weird kind of guy in the corner who likes sci-fi and tech and things. <laughs> you, 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 you kind of, they're kind of slightly solitary activities, especially at that age. They're not so much now with the internet and or, or like all different cultures out there. But back then, no. My, my dad, he buried himself in work and he was, he was just never present. He, he's not, he's not a bad guy but he, he just was never there. He said it a few times, actually, and quite proudly, and it was bizarre when he told me this, that he, he preferred sort of going into work and not dealing with the family. He, he'd sometimes sleep at the office. He just couldn't cope, especially with some of the things that were going on with me. He'd take the American long working hours culture as an excuse to not be at home, which I, I think affected everyone, affected my mum, but just my relationship with between her and my dad, it was always strained. I always, I always feel like, I, I still feel this to this day, like a bit of a black sheep in the family. It was a bit of a difficult time over there for me, to be honest. Uh, like I'd been bullied before we moved to the States. Uh, and that's probably actually, I'd say, where a lot of my troubles began. I was, I was, I was a bullied kid, basically, all the way through my which wasn't ideal. Obviously, moving to northern midwest area of america not many tourists around there like on the east or west coast and just being bullied because of being other really which you know what was essentially it i was sort of just a weird exotic kid with a strange funny accent i was a bit oversensitive as a child as well i don't think that helped so i probably reacted quite badly to things but that's some horrible, horrible experiences over there, really, unfortunately. I, I do like Americans. I have worked with them <laughs> since in my working life. It, that, so I don't hold it against them, but it's, school can be tough. And that was definitely a bit of a bleak time. Not only was bullying over there so intense, like there were some really humiliating things they did, like pinned me down quite a few times, cornered me, painted my chair. So I sat down and got it all over my bum stood up everyone laughing at me in class and the school not really doing much it was this is this is how insane it was over there i i went to a catholic school in america run by dominican nuns from alabama so that was about as ultra religious as you could get so they were all about this turning the other cheek thing but looking back it was they were just protecting their own that that sort of thing added to it because there was no support from the from the school or the teachers like my parents did try bless them but they, they were out of their depth they're in another country that they, they were struggling with their own setup over there as well as having one of their kids just losing his mind constantly and like like I running out of school what a couple of times just to get away and having to be picked up and being taught back which was even more humiliating but I, I just couldn't cope At the time, obviously, you don't have the emotional vocabulary to describe it. I would say now I was kind of just existing. I, I was just going through the motions, 
I had all these feelings inside, but I buried them deep down. I remember even sometimes when they were bubbling to the surface, I'd just sort of sit and just try and force it down, push them down really deep, really deep down so I wouldn't feel anything. I'd, I'd try and make myself numb and that did get me through for a while, but obviously that came back later in life with a vengeance. It, it is not a very healthy coping strategy at all. But there was nothing else out there. There was nothing else anyone could suggest. Schools weren't equipped to deal with it. I would say they're probably slightly more equipped to deal with it now, but there's just more awareness. Whether or not they can actually help is another matter. And then we moved back uh, just early uh, early 2000s to the UK and back into secondary school over here. Were you relieved when you found out you were going to go back to the UK? I was, yes. Uh, I was really hopeful when we came back. I thought things would be different. But the cycle started again, and this time it was because I sounded a bit funny coming back. I'd picked up a bit of a transatlantic accent. My mannerisms were slightly different. Again, it's just cultural things that fed into it, and that was the same over there. Like My accent was different, but also culturally, was Britain and America actually can be quite different depending on what part of the country you're in. And part of the country we were in, we were very different. And again, coming back, it was the same thing. Uh, I'd like missed out on, like I'd missed out on like lots of just stuff around pop culture as well. Like the Spice Girls, I'd sort of missed that thing. I was like, what, what was that about? The bullying, it continued for a few years. Things got pretty dark pretty quickly. When I was 14, uh, it was when I attempted to take my own life for the first time. It'd been a couple of weeks of just quite Intense but low-level bullying at school, just people making lots of comments, shutting me like in the playground during break, and it was just, it was just it just it, it always went through cycles, peaks and troughs. It was this is obviously a peak at this point. It wasn't the biggest peak, but it was definitely a peak. Been shoved around a bit, been roughed up once or twice, and this is when like the cap I'd put on all those feelings to try and pushed them down, started to slip. I couldn't keep it down anymore. I could feel it losing it slightly, losing control, and I just wanted to lash out at people. But again, I was stopping myself from feeling anger because I was worried about getting in trouble. So I'd like run off somewhere and, and just kind of scream somewhere where no one could hear me. And a couple of friends who I thought were my friends had come round to visit and we'd, we'd been out walking around, just hanging around like, kids do just at the park and things and they just started kicking off some really slightly sinister teasing uh just picking on like some of my mannerisms and why was I so weird and I just remember just snapping and just that was it I just walked off and like I even remember some of it even though it's slightly out of body I didn't react to them or talk to them I went into a sort of robot mode and like just spotted a busy street not far from my house And I knew there was some like sharp bends where people couldn't see anything because they came around it at speed. And I just walked towards it. And the other kids, I think, realized eventually what was happening. And they had to physically jump on me and hold me down. There was a stage where I was just sort of standing at the edge of the curb, just zoned out. They couldn't get through to me and they, they realized what I was about to do. And I took a start to take a step. I remember actually taking a step out and then just getting side tackled. And I remember 
fighting them so hard that was it everything was out then like all my feelings exploded I, I was swearing like really physically going for it like trying to attack them I'd never felt that strong before which is sounds so weird so weird now like they really struggled to keep down I didn't I don't think they realized I had that in me I didn't realize I had that in me uh, but eventually obviously I managed to get free and run and I tried to hit go for another road and again they had to catch me and pin me down physically it was so bizarre like just in the middle of this housing estate all this chaos going on like no adults came out or anybody to react to it there was people around it was so strange thinking about it now that there was no nobody came over to f- see what was going on eventually I, I, I just physically couldn't keep them off me anymore and I, and, and I did gave up and I just kind of slumped and just went definitely quiet again they, they didn't know what to do so they took me home to my mum they knocked on the door she opened it she could see something was wrong and they just had to tell her what happened and I just immediately just broke down crying she took me in she said thanks boys and like sent them off I kind of blacked out after that I think I just fell asleep for like hours and hours and in that time I, I believe my mum had tried to speak to the GP about it managed to get hold of them on an emergency line and that's when she asked me I think you need to talk to someone about this and, and I and I I'd come back to my senses a bit more, but I said to her, no, I do not want this coming out. I do not want to talk about it with anyone. I was obviously going straight back into denial mode about it. And evidently, like a few weeks later, I, I tried to hang myself and put the cable around my neck and I was going to jump a step off, like we had some bunk beds in my room. So I was going to step off the top of the ladder and, and, and like, I kind of, came off slipped down it was it was about to take my weight and i kind of grabbed it and stopped obviously i still had that survival instinct kicking in but but i, I was trying to g myself up to override that and i couldn't i felt embarrassed i felt silly like it wasn't even sadness or depression i felt it was just shame not not that i attempted it per se but i, I couldn't follow through with it and it made me feel like i'm, I'm no good at life I'm, i can't even try i can't even do dead right and i think some of it was because i I felt like I hadn't wanted it enough. That was, that was awful. It was more of a cry for help. But again, it, I, I felt kind of weak in myself that I hadn't wanted it enough to do it properly. I completely relate. All the things I've been through in my life, I've never felt more shame than after suicide attempts. I tried to hang myself in 2020 before the pandemic and obviously it was not successful. But I have never, after that, I've never felt shame like that before. Like, and, and since, like, it's it's so intense. I think it's just coming, because it, it comes at you from all directions. It's like embarrassment, self-hatred, failure, all those things together. And it's just shame bomb. <laughs> it is. And it's failure, I think, is the biggest one. Because you, you felt a failure. So that's why you, you've attempted to take your life. Because it's like I'm a failure existing at being alive ergo I should not be here anymore and then when you can't do it you, you feel you feel even more of a failure because you've not had the guts to do it after those two attempts I just completely kind of I, I kind of shut that part of me away and acted like a normal human being for like the rest of my teens and my 20s by just going into deep deep denial I just put on a mask. I, I I just ignored it. I acted normally. I managed to meet my wife. I got married. I mean, I, I was doing everything right. We we lived on a canal boat for 
like six years. You had a really awesome time doing that. Like we moved up to Manchester, bought a house. I, I mean, everything should, should be on paper, It'd be fine. But but it wasn't because when I hit thirty and we moved out of London to Birmingham because my wife Katie, she's a doctor, she she got her training post up here. And we had to move. I had to leave my job at the time. Triggered for the first time in a long time, feelings of instability which I hadn't felt since I was a kid and had no plan. I'd always had a job up to that point, including a paper round or worked in Saturday jobs, you're working in shops, even during university. And I struggled to find work for a while for the first time in my life because I had to maybe potentially look at something different from what I was doing before. This was obviously before remote working. And I had a good few months of being alone with my thoughts for most of the day with no plan or structure. And that's what had been keeping me going for all those years, having a plan and structure. And once that was taken away, I had no resilience. I had nothing there. And I didn't even realize at this point how I'd been, like I'd stopped suppressing it. It'd just been kind of a dormant part of me. And all of a sudden it it was there. It started off with some issues around me trying to find work and with our marriage. I just started feeling useless and shame again because I, I didn't have a job. I wasn't. I, I wasn't helping with the bills at that point. I felt very exposed. I realized I was eating to us my savings to help out where I could. And, and I started panicking because I, I didn't know what to do and how to make this better. I couldn't figure out a way out. I'd, I'd maybe do fits and start to try and find work. And then I'd be totally demotivated and lie in bed all day. I got very, very depressed and felt that for the first time since, since I was a kid. Again, just feeling a failure because I've not managed to do the basics of holding down a job or like find something straight away i think i gave myself a bit too much of a hard time with that uh, and then it spiraled into something which was like oh just a period of not being employed to this is the worst thing ever and my wife's going to leave me and i'm a failure because i i don't have a job and that was my structure and that was my routine that that helped me act like a normal human being over the course of a few weeks luke began to have panic attacks Then he started blacking out, finding himself in fugue states where he would regain consciousness in locations he didn't remember getting to. Until one day, he found himself by the road again, contemplating the oncoming traffic. I don't even remember walking to the road, which I instantly connected with my first attempt when I was younger. We'd end up going to the emergency GP who just took one look at me and said, I'm putting on medication straight away. There was not even a discussion. I to string together a few sentences. My wife filled in the rest and he shoved a prescription my way straight away. And we got myself sorted with some, uh, initially some CBT therapy, six, six sessions. Unfortunately, it's not that much, but it, it helped and it stabilized me. And by that stage, I'd managed to find some work and that kept me going for a few months. And, and then that led actually to a better job, which again, gave me that ultimate structure that I was missing. And my mental health seemed to stabilize at that point. I had a really good three years in a job I really enjoyed, but it was all an illusion because I hadn't dealt with it properly. I hadn't, I'd, I'd just taken some medication, but not had therapy because I didn't know enough about treatments, about how you actually have to look after your, your own brain to realize that there's more to it than just, oh, it's, you've gone through the initial crisis you're okay now you, we've got, got you stable you can go back to your life that's not how it works and so that led to a, after a couple of years a, another series when covid hit of what i call the really dark times 
where I ended up jumping between a couple of jobs because I couldn't hold a job down properly because I'd throw myself into environments which were either toxic or had her- horrific work-life balance, which involved like dealing with things at all sorts of the nights, dealing with calls like to the other side of the world. Even when I was for help to cut my workload down, there was no support there. It was terrible. And it was, I realized I was doing that to try and get structure back. I was going into these quite bad work environments as a way of trying to validate myself. And I also realized I was doing what my dad did when he was younger. He, he found validation through work and working himself to death at all hours and not dealing with his feelings or emotions. I had realized I didn't, I'd imprinted on that. I'd taken that and applied it to myself. I ended up going through a cycle of coming on to medication, coming off it, not really dealing with anything. I did have some therapy, uh, for a couple of years in, in between this, when I was stable, which did help. But as soon as I stopped that, things backslid. I, 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 again, I hadn't learned the lesson that mental health is good. Mental health is work. You have to maintain it. There's no way around that. You just have to maintain it. So this all led to a massive crescendo around July, August, 2021. This was like the latest job I got into a quite bad agency environment. And, and I crumbled within six weeks. They put me on quite challenging assignments because of my previous experience. My CV, like on paper, looked great. But the flip side to that is you get on all the really challenging work because they think you can handle it. And obviously I couldn't. I, I dabbled with a bit of self-harm at this stage, which is something I hadn't done before. So this is another new thing coming in on top of everything else. The scary thing with that one was how good it was at helping me cope with things. I was just focusing on the pain that was giving me at the time, and it took every the other the actual pain away, which was scary. I don't know how I didn't do more of that. That was starting to spiral. I ended up attempting an overdose. Like I got together a bunch of drugs. I had this big pile in front of me, and I was just about to go on another work call in between doing this i was kind of like oh i'll just take this and then i'll like do the thing like like i'm not giving anything away no one knows i'm going to do this i just written a very ridiculous and embarrassing goodbye cruel world suicide note which started off because i didn't want to be a dickhead with all the life admin stuff so my wife wouldn't have to worry about that because i was like no i know i know deaths and funerals are a big deal so i'm going to do i'm going to here's all the logins for everything and all the bank accounts and the netflix so you can, do, so you'll be fine. And then, then I did all the goodbye, cruel world stuff. I'd spent all day trying to get my affairs in order. But again, that's why I knew it was serious because I was actually planning for, for me not being there. And then I ended up on this call with a work colleague, and I just suddenly just collapsed and said what I was about to do. He kind of obviously freaked out. This was like still pandemic times on a Zoom call like this, and. You have someone saying, oh, I'm just about to kill myself. Like, sorry, how's your day going? <laughs> and he obviously came off that call, told my boss immediately. She took me off work straight away. And I didn't go back because I couldn't, but I was signed off initially for a period of a few months where I just had to recover properly. Obviously, my wife came back, found out what had happened like the mental health crisis team started coming in uh, i didn't end up in hospital uh, i was assessed by a psychiatrist 
for that. But because of the state of the NHS and how things were at the time with COVID, they decided to manage me in the community. That that effectively meant I was checked on. I was just being under regular observation every 24, 48 hours with people checking on me, coming around to make sure I didn't do anything, which was, again, the shame and embarrassment of that, but also people noticing in the street and, my, and our neighbours, doctors and nurses coming out of the house on a regular basis every other day and wondering what was going on there. I, th- I think I'd bottomed out completely. I had no hope. The, the, the only thing about the bottom is the only way is up. There is only one direction to go after that. There isn't a sub-basement. <laughs> I was already in the sub-basement. And it was the first time I, I had, I, I was just there properly thinking about what I needed from life and what I wanted from life to actually still want to be here for. I, I'd realised I didn't want to leave my wife. I am acting in a very, very damaging way to other people, not just myself. And, and I think that's when I was able to realise that if provide some validation for myself then I can provide validation to other people and like I can try and be a better person it took a while to come to that realization and I had to think that I was actually worth something during that time I, it was I, I took the time to figure out what would actually give me validation what do I need to make myself feel contented I realized that I'd been using work as a way to provide structure to my life but I didn't deal with the fact that life isn't always structured and it messy and uncertain things can happen and chaos happens all the time and you have to be able to deal with that and it took bottoming them out completely which in itself is chaos and uncertainty in a nutshell to realize that other people learn the lesson a lot sooner and in a way healthier way but i definitely didn't mm, yeah my life went a similar route really like i there are, there are many like realizations and kind of life lessons that i, I feel like my peers kind of came to whereas I had to kind of like learn a lot of stuff by reaching rock bottom and like being in worse mental health for my life and only then could I begin to make progress. I agree with that. I, I think all of us that have struggled with our mental health, we didn't have the experiences in childhood to provide you with the confidence to deal with things when things go bad. I was talking to a friend about this a few weeks ago. She mentioned she'd had a fairly happy childhood. She was given stability. And so she always felt stable. So when something bad did happen later on, especially when she was an adult, it was like, oh, I know how to deal with this. This isn't the worst thing in the world. Things generally are always okay. But when you don't have that experience growing up, when you're bullied, you feel worthless about yourself, the people in authority can't give you that stability. When something bad happens to you when you're older, you freak out completely because you spiral because you think the worst is going to happen because there isn't a system in place that will catch you, even though that system should come from within. But you don't have it. Like you said, it's only by reaching rock bottom that you start to build those coping mechanisms. You start building those boundaries, those healthy connections that get you to where you should be. Because I bottomed out so utterly, the only way was up. And little by little, I started building myself up as a proper human being. I started practicing healthier boundaries. I talked to friends properly. Like I opened up more. My wife's been so supportive. Like through so much, don't deserve her. <laughs> and 
I, I, I took the time to figure out what I wanted from life, which I don't think I ever had done properly. And I don't think anyone who's had a mental health crisis has done themselves. We all learn this lesson at different points in life, like some of us later than others. But you have to figure out what makes you happy and, and, and stay true to that. And, and me, that was being a bit of a tech geek. I was always interested in that. I'd done science at university. I was a geneticist originally, like I'd worked in the lab, but I'd gone off that and moved into more corporate pharmaceutical land. That was what my career was in, which had led me down that dark road. And and it's a notorious industry for that. But I realized I, I enjoy technology, so why not try and learn to code and be a software engineer? I'd, I'd always wanted to look into that but I always thought it was too late. And then bizarrely, while I was still being monitored by the mental health crisis team, a ad came up for a coding bootcamp, which was free. So I just took that as, as a sign and I applied and managed to get through all the screening processes. And, and I got onto the course, which considering my brain was still half fried and medicated, I was quite impressed I was able to do. So I took that as a further sign. And so I just jumped my previous career and jumped headfirst into re retraining in tech. And I've just in the la like just coming up, I'll have been in my first software engineering job for a year, which is incredible because I haven't held down a job for a whole year for a very long time. So that's impressive. And I'm actually happy. I'm not on medication at the moment and I am the happiest for a very, very long time and I actually and but at the same time it's I also only work it doesn't take over my life and I'm not using it as a crutch to provide structure to my life I do other things outside of work like I've got into cosplay I dress up as a ghost and go to conventions it's stupid uh, it, it I could do circus like aerial and acrobatics and things like that that's something I, like I always wanted to do and I got into that and so again I feel like a bit more of a healthier normal person I've got hobbies and interests which lead to a rich and full life which I didn't have before I was just an empty vessel just treading water and just existing and, and not dealing with the feelings the uncertainty about life would give me and 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 realizing that's that's okay I, I've realized now that it's like things are uncertain it's okay they're uncertain but in that uncertainty there's opportunities I never saw that before I just saw everything as big and scary and everything that uncertainty would always turn out bad i've realized that's not the case not everything turns out bad it's good i think finding validation from within is the most important thing anybody can do regardless of if you've ever had mental health issues or not that's the only thing that no one can take away from you if you feel good in yourself you'll pay that forward to other people you'll make other people feel good about themselves and good things will happen. People will want to be around you. Positive things will come into your life because you're being positive. You're trying to do the right thing and move forward. And you'll ultimately just have that inner sense of contentment. Recovery means to me always talking to someone. There is always someone who will listen. You're never really alone, regardless of how the world is and what narrative that that is put out by the media and so and social media widely about how atomized we are as a society and as individuals 
that's not the case. There are people that will always listen. There are friends out there. I've I've managed to make some really good friends over the last few years that I, I can rely on and can always talk to and they will always be there for me. And if you don't think there is, that isn't true. There is always someone there. You've been listening to Recovery From Anything. I'm your host, Abby Felton. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review the show and join the community on Instagram at Recovery From Anything. You can find out more about this week's storyteller or submit a story of your own on our website, recoveryfromanything.com. Thank you for listening.